0: (laughs) Nightmare on Film Street is brought to you by Baphomet & Co, small batch soap inspired by horror and the macabre. This week's pick is the Dibbick Box, the mystery gift set. Feeling brazen, curious, eager to conjure a little mystery? Baphomet & Co's Dibbick Box contains an array of Baphomet & Co curated scents, soaps, and bath products that will remain a complete mystery until the box arrives at your door. Get 10% off your order with the code NIGHTMARE at bathmintonco.com That's 10% off with code NIGHTMARE. Bathmington Co. Made by hands, sometimes severed.
1: Fellow fiends, welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street the horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore your puny heart can handle. (laughs) Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim.
0: Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week, we're talking Dead in the Water. Water, water, water,
2: water. That's right. We are talking two black and white films that take place that have just incredible, scary set pieces surrounding bathtubs.
0: I wanted to call this episode Bad Bathrooms, but John said that we couldn't because we're uh, an upstanding <coughs> podcast. Of the highest utmost quality. I'm lying. That never happened. We we have an article on the website called Bad Bathrooms. It's by contributor Rachel Prin. I'm so it's glad you brought it up. Probably one of the best articles ever. She
2: has this really strange ability to focus on one particular location and just She's got expand. She of closets,
0: and it's wonderful. And attics and basements. <laughs> She's our go-to room of the house girl. <laughs>
2: Uh, they're all good.
0: They are all good. So yeah, this week we are continuing Silver Scream Month, black and white horror films with two classics. We are talking about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho and Henry Georges Clouseau's Les Diabolique. I apologize to anybody who's actually French. We have wanted to talk about Psycho for quite a long time on the podcast. But what do you pair it but with? But what do you pair it with? Exactly. And then, you know,
2: uh, and then one day, you know, just sort of fell into our lap. This Silver Screams column that Stephanie Cole has been working on for some time now at NOFspodcast.com. It's actually the basis and inspiration for this entire month's theme. And, you know, one of one of the biggest recommendations I ever got from her. You talk about it in the that... episode, by the way. Oh, do I? You sure do. Okay, well, I'm just going to say it here real quick. <laughs> you got to check out this article, especially if you haven't seen the movie. Um, and this is your last chance. See the movie before listening to the rest of this you episode. You warn
0: people that as well in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it's important.
2: I, You know, I hadn't seen this movie. I, I was not aware of it until uh, Stephanie's column. So if you are the same... Uh, And you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, please seek it out. And it's on Criterion right now if you want to get like a one month free trial or something. Yeah, this
0: whole uh, theme on nofspodcast.com has revolved around our free trial of the Criterion (laughs)
2: channel. (laughs) We did watch a lot of movies,
0: we sure did. (laughs) And one of the ones we missed.
2: Uh, that I really wanted to check out was Multiple Maniacs by John Waters, which we got a chance to see last weekend at my old man time viewing Turner Classic Movies Underground.
0: Yeah, friggin' four in the morning John Waters movies was pretty great.
2: It is the perfect time to see that movie. It's wild. It was so
0: weird to watch that and know that it was on like regular cable. I was like, Turner Classic Movies is playing. Yeah, we watched
2: Singing in the Rain with our family on this channel (laughs) at
0: Christmas. (laughs) Was it Christmas or New Year's? I can't remember. One of the two. But yeah, before we get into this week's big, meaty, black and white episode, uh, we're going to kick off the show the way we always do. John, what is keeping you creepy this week?
2: Well, in the last week, we, you know, outside of a little like impromptu John Waters marathon we had at home, we saw Underwater at the movie theater. I think maybe Kim's first favorite movie of the year.
0: (laughs) You know, I didn't love it, but it's a monster movie, it was in the theater. It's got Kristen Stewart, who I really like for some reason, even though I don't know why. Uh, She's great. Is she? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Must be, because I always see her films. (laughs) You fangirl
2: crush on her all the time. I
0: know, but why? I don't even know. But yeah, it was fun. It was a perfect Friday night. Want to go to the theater, but don't really have anything super big, deep to see. Don't really want to see anything super big, deep. Go watch some monsters. Go watch Case 2 Underwater. It's a fun time.
2: I was very into the POV scenes where it's sort of found footage style monster movie underwater. Super into that. But I mean, like, you know, spoiler free review. It's definitely a movie for the theater. You should absolutely go check it out.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you had any interest in seeing it, I would totally recommend going to see it in the theater and not waiting to VOD. Because monster movies, you kind of either are going to see them on the big screen or not at all.
2: And there is... There are some monsters in this movie that you should see on a gigantic screen.
0: True. If you want more thoughts on Underwater, of course, we do have a full spoiler discussion over on our Patreon page. For those of you who want to support Nightmare on Film Street with a monthly pledge, uh, you can grab that right now, instantly unlock it, even if you're not a patron as of yet, over at patreon.com slash nightmareonfilmstreet, and you just need to pick a tier and support the show.
2: There's nothing in the movie theater this week, but next week, The Turning's coming, a uh, good old gothic classical ghost story.
0: I really like the original, the story that it's based on. It seems like this one's updated, obviously, a little bit more modern. We have the kids playing drums and stuff, so I'm assuming it's present day. I don't know if I'm going to like it. I don't know that the trailer didn't win me over, so it'll be interesting to see how the adaptation fares.
2: More importantly, though, another movie that's coming to the theater soonish. March. We're talking March. Not really that soon. <laughs> in the grand scheme. Of- I don't know when you're listening to this. It could be 2027. Go find it in your digital library in your brain. Uh, Jason Lee Howden's Guns Akimbo. The trailer is out now. You got to check it out. This movie is wild. It's got Daniel Radcliffe, Samara Weaving. And Guns
0: weaving, for Hands. And Guns for Hands!
2: <laughs> oh, that's that's it's all, all you the poster need to say.
0: That's, that's all, all the poster has to say. Yeah. Guns for hands.
2: This march, um, guns for hands. So
0: I know we all love Samara Weaving, but if you don't, if if present day you does not love Samara Weaving, at the end of Guns Akimbo, you're going to be like, what a mistake I have made.
2: She's incredible. She
0: is so cool. I'm going
2: to tell you, in the beginning of Guns Akimbo, you will say, what a mistake I've made. The oh. opening scene is just like Samara Weaving just destroying people. And she is incredibly unhinged in this movie. Yeah, we
0: caught that at Fantastic Fest. Uh, It was like a midnight screening, and I was like three margaritas deep, (laughs) and I was exhausted. So (laughs) I I kicked off the movie. I ordered another margarita because I was like, I got to keep this train (laughs) rolling if I'm gonna make yeah if I'm gonna make it to the end. And I was like half awake in my seat, and as soon as it like came on the screen, I was like. Oh my word. It was so much fun that when it was over, I was like, that that was the full movie? I've been here for an hour and a half? Holy shit. From start to finish, it's just so like high-paced and so speedy and quick and crazy that uh, it just blows by.
2: You're, you're going to see a lot of comparisons to Crank, which are uh, obvious and well-earned. It is essentially the new Crank. It's like Crank and Scott Pilgrim versus the world mashed together.
0: That's a perfect description. Thank you.
2: Uh, Some other festival favorites that are coming soon. Uh, Fangoria has picked up the world rights to Keola Racela's Porno. One of our favorites from the 2019 festival circuit. Horror comedy. Absolutely hysterical. Oh, so fun. Just, oh man. Just bonkers. See it with an audience. Or just at least invite a bunch of friends over if you watch it on VOD whenever it's coming out. Um, It
0: gives me total, like, um, the, what is the Ash vs. Evil Dead series called?
2: It's called Ash vs. Evil Dead.
0: Oh. (laughs) That is what it reminds me of.
2: It's a hell of a lot of fun. It's like a group of Christian kids that are working in a movie theater that, you know, they, they think they're going to watch a porno and like, maybe it unleashes a demon. Who knows? <laughs> Fuck, that movie is funny. And also uh, another movie that was on our top 10 of the year for 2019. Blood on Her Name is coming to select theaters and VOD in February. It's a Southern Gothic neo-noir. So it's maybe not everybody. It's it's not horror But it is very dark, and it hurts to watch a little bit. If you like noir movies, you are absolutely going to love this. It might be your favorite movie of the year. It's coming soon. I highly recommend it. Please check it out. But before we get started, before we dive into the one movie I have been very scared to talk about since we started doing this podcast, uh, I want to give a big shout-out to our most recent supporters of Patreon, Thank you so much, Michael, Matthew, Vanessa, Jacqueline, Samantha, M, with two M's, uh, and an E at the front, uh, Joshua, Ryan, and Nicole. The ship's sinking. I know you can't tell because you're listening to a podcast right now. How kind of you. Uh, But the ship, the gym, the car, wherever you're listening to this, it's filling with water right now. Hit the eject button. The pods are waiting for you. Go to safety. Do not look down. There are monsters coming for you.
0: Is this a rip on Underwater or Kinda. Psycho? I, have... I, I don't know.
2: <laughs> oh, how perfect that we talked about Underwater at the beginning of this, because it's all water-based this week.
0: Thank you guys so much for supporting us on Patreon. I don't know how to segue from your car water thing. <laughs> yeah, no, if,
2: if only shaking your head was uh, made an audible sound.
0: <laughs> we we need that friggin' sound thing.
2: A board? yeah, a sound board?
0: Like, so I can just womp-womp you. Is... <laughs> Okay, are you ready to talk about Psycho?
2: I I am ready. I am finally ready to talk about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Good
3: afternoon. Here we have a quiet little motel tucked away off the main highway and as you see, perfectly harmless looking when in fact It has now become known as the scene of the crime. Of course, the victim, or should I say victims, hadn't any conception as to the type of people they would be confronted with in this house, especially the woman. The bathroom. Well, I cleaned all this up you now. Big difference. You should have seen the blood. The whole the whole place was well, it's it's too horrible to describe. Dreadful. And I'll tell you, there's a very important clue was found here. Down there. Well, the murderer, you see, crept in here. Very slurry, of course. The shower was on, there was no sound, and uh...
0: Psycho from nineteen sixty, currently sitting at sixty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. 8.5 out of 10 on IMDb, 4 out of 4 from Roger Ebert, 97% on Metacritic, 4.3 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Are you sure that Rotten Tomato rating is right? What's the rating? 63,
2: 64. Oh, that's that's campy, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's no way that's right.
0: <laughs> there is no way that's right. Rotten? I'm
2: going to guess
0: 97%. I'm going to guess 94 Okay, opening it up, ninety-six percent.
2: All right, somewhere in there.
0: So you went over. Uh, I won by prices right, right, right rules.
2: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Too much of the world is dictated by prices right rules. <laughs> oh man,
0: it's like legal precedent now. Like, <laughs> yeah. All right, pull out the plinko board. We're gonna settle how many years you're in prison for.
2: <laughs> wow, can you imagine?
0: Minimum three, maximum ten. <laughs> like you, you go get...
2: over the cliff, it's the death penalty.
0: Plinko, not cliffhanger. I was just
2: thinking about how we could utilize other favorites.
0: <laughs> You're already on to different games. <laughs> oh
2: yeah. Season 2 of the courtroom. I want I want some more games.
0: Oh man. I like that one where they used to like punch and then they would pull out things. Is it
2: punch a bunch? I don't remember. It's probably punch a deal. Or
0: Puncho or something. I don't know. Puncho. <laughs> <laughs> so Psycho. Yeah. The quintessential Hitchcock film. Agreed. It's This is definitely, like, the most notorious, notable? Of his films? Widely known?
2: A thousand percent.
0: Well, I mean, once you get into Hitchcock, like, once you get into his catalog, it gets harder and harder to call Psycho, like, the Hitchcock film. But that is definitely the um, toes in the kiddie pool of Hitchcock. Like, yeah. you dip into Psycho before you get in the pool. Well,
2: and... I think that's just because you have seen Psycho before you see Psycho.
0: Yeah, like especially for our generation, I know, I knew Bates Motel before I knew what Psycho was because Bates Motel was just like this term that my mom would use all the time to like. Oh yeah, when something was strange. Or yeah, like it was like we're at the Bates Motel or like like it was your mom's
2: version of we're not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That is so fucking cool. So it was
0: just like a turn of phrase, and I always. Unfortunately, like, I don't know if I've told this on the podcast before, I used to think the Hotel California Hotel had something hotel? to do with Bates Motel, because those are the only evil hotels that were in my tiny little brain. Those
2: two, yeah.
0: Um, it wasn't, yeah, until I was older that I realized, like, oh, there's a whole movie attached to the Bates Motel. Like, here's the legend! <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. And I knew nothing of the beginning half of the film. I always just assumed, like, yep, creepy hotel, you go there you can never leave
2: (laughs) (laughs) we'd never see anybody check out now the the interesting thing about Psycho is that we talk about it as being a pivotal film in film history there is a before Psycho and after Psycho Yeah. and no one after Psycho experiences Psycho like no one our generation Gen X the lost generation before us uh, none of us really understand why Psycho was so important at that time we can see it and we can go this is brilliant this is genius like we can throw all of the you know the the compliments at it that we want that it deserves but we never really understand why it was such a landmark film
0: yeah like it doesn't we it doesn't really get a chance to resonate with us the same way yeah and I mean, a lot of it comes down to the fun marketing and the the William Castle-esque showmanship that went around the release of the film and uh, all of the fun teasers and commercials and signage that Hitchcock himself was the face of about not spoiling it and you had to go at the beginning of the movie and all that stuff created such a good buzz for the film that there was like an electric buzz about seeing Psycho without ever needing the twist.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And then the fact that the movie on top of that is like a monument of cinema. It was just like this perfect cocktail of like lucrative release and mind-blowing cinema and a flushing toilet.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right? Oh, man. I don't
0: know why, but that's like the only point of trivia I ever remember about Psycho is that it's the first film to have a flushing toilet.
2: I think it's also like the longest makeout scene or something silly like that. Like, because...
0: We see a lot of Marion Crane Braziers.
2: Yeah, because it's definitely post-sex in that hotel room. Oh,
0: totally. And I will always forget that they're dating but not dating.
2: Oh, yeah, it's a big I always thought that
0: they were married to other people.
2: Oh, like they're both cheating.
0: Yeah. Because they're meeting at, like, lunch, having a hookup at a hotel. Well, I,
2: I think it's also something to do with if his, like, separated wife finds out. About that, yeah, it's a it puts him Alimony, in hot water. Blah, blah,
0: blah. Then... I'll be poor, and she'll be like, "I'll lick the stamps." Oh, I love that line. <laughs> I'll lick the stamps. Oh, I love man. it. I it's love great it so much. <laughs> yeah,
2: and like I, I don't know when we're gonna bring it up in the podcast, but it's worth mentioning the Janet Lee's a babe. Holy oh, shit! Babe. Right, Ugh.
0: everybody's a babe. <laughs> Everybody,
2: yeah. Well, I mean Vera Miles is in this movie. Come on. Oh,
0: I meant. The- <laughs> i meant norman <laughs> <laughs> he's a
1: little boy in this he's movie. so
0: adorable though is
2: adorable like the attractive quality that you're looking for in people he's so
0: sweet though and okay. good apart from like the murdering people and the borderline not borderline the insanity <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, there's no—it's a borderline personality disorder. Uh, but
0: it's dissociative identity identity disorder. <laughs> my mistake.
2: <laughs> I think I just wanted to say that. Um, nobody in this movie underestimates him, though. Like, well, okay, they underestimate him, sure, but everybody holds him at arm's length, especially Janet Lee. She does a great job. Of I think she's just him- edgy
0: because she she's. On the run. Well, see, I add, there's
2: part of that, but I think there is also just this. Uh, th- there's there's a line that I constantly think of from Rear Window, where we're watching a young woman across the way with a, an apartment full of men. The ballerina. Yes, the ballerina, and she is uh, Grace Kelly is there with with uh, James Stewart, and she's saying that this is like her most important role or like her biggest talent is being able to sort of distract a den of wolves and like that's kind of exactly what Janet Lee is doing with we should probably start using character names that's exactly what Marion Crane is doing with Norman Bates because she is alone with him there's nobody around for miles and he gets a little hostile here and there and she does kind of give him responses that will uh, keep him happy or at least not make him more aggressive while still being a little truthful. Like, you've never had a, a, a wasted moment in your life, have you? And she's like, only only my fair share. But, like, the way she replies is... She's,
0: no, so I think we're, we're interpreting that scene differently. I think
2: there's two things happening in that scene, though. She's very guarded,
0: but that is actually the scene that has her change her mind and decide to go return home and face what she's done. Oh, yeah. So she's very guarded, but she's been guarded since she took off. And that's the first spot where she kind of like lets her guard down a little bit. And she says stuff like, I'm I'm going to my own personal island. And she reveals stuff to him that definitely alludes to the fact that she is running away from something, which is more than she's given anybody else on this trip. And I think it's because he's a sweet young boy who's vulnerable and from all appearances being a taken advantage of by his mother.
2: Yeah, because he, he talks about being in a bit of a trap of his own design. And, you know, how she wants to escape one of her own that, you know, maybe it's not too late to step out of. Uh, But
0: I love that line, by the way.
2: Oh, the whole thing is great.
0: That whole um, speech she has about we're all just clawing at the air.
2: Yeah. And and for nothing. Because everybody's
0: in their own personal traps. It's for me, I think it sums up the movie perfectly, because the thing about Psycho is that it is two different films that are stitched together at Bates Motel. Yeah. And because Hitchcock loves his MacGuffin so, <laughs> it's like a magic trick. We're watching the money for the first half of the film and we're so focused on where the money is and if the money's exchanging hands that we don't see that we're we've walked right up to a serial killer. Yeah. And there's something so interesting about the fact that we have this full other story and this full other life of this person who just, by happenstance, becomes a victim to a serial killer who has his whole story and his whole other life. And there's something so like nihilistic about the fact that the money just gets ch- chucked in the trunk and he never knows about it. Yeah. that That's so dark.
2: There is a whole run of events that are just... Like, twisting the knife. Like, we know that she, like, she only stops at this hotel because she's accidentally gotten off the freeway uh, because the rain is so bad. She can't see, so she, like, visibility is zero and it's safer to stop. But then we find out that she is very close to her destination. Fifteen miles. Fifteen miles away. And she could have made it.
0: And then the rain stops.
2: And then the rain stops. So, like, she really only had to pull off to the side of the road. And, you know, maybe if she didn't talk to this guy so much, she could probably just continue on. Like, she could, but for some reason, she can't just run away at that moment. I guess also...
0: Well, and he's got empty cabins. He hasn't had a a visitor in a long time. Like, there's a lot of social pressure for her to stay.
2: Yeah, 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 totally. And, I I mean, like, staying is, is definitely what makes her change her mind to go back. So there's no reason for her to necessarily continue forward anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but then for her, and and that's the other thing is that she decides this was a mistake. I got to go back. I got to fix things. It's not too late. And then she fucking dies. And then the money gets to just like put into the pond. Like the the whole thing is, is a disaster. <laughs> it hurts to watch.
0: Yeah. And I, I for me, just the fact that it means absolutely nothing in the end, It says something so I'm I'm looking for the word just about the um the futile nature of life and living and how death can be so unornamental and it it can mean nothing.
2: I think that's probably what makes what made audiences back in 1960 so like react so strongly to this movie too.
0: Yeah, because we like Marion. She's made a big mistake. Yeah, but she. One, she's ready to own up to it, but also her journey is an interesting one. There's a lot of mystery and suspense before we even get to the Bates Motel. I mean, with the cop following her and her changing cars and just being suspicious as fuck.
2: So I think we made a huge mistake pairing this movie with anything else because I don't have (laughs) the restraint in me to not talk about every scene of this movie for an hour. I want to talk about that discussion that they had. Like y- y- while they're eating sandwiches for an hour, I want to talk about her and the police officer for an hour. I want to talk just about her facial expressions while she's
0: driving. Oh my god!
2: Forever, I I love everything about this movie. Um, so no surprise you can probably driving- guess my rating
0: the uh, the driving sequence i think is my favorite part of the movie it's
2: incredible yeah mm-hmm. yeah because we see so many shades of emotion go across and her it's face it's so
0: well lit and oh it's so it's so gorgeous
2: i've, I've probably like instagrammed only photos from that like stills from that scene i i've definitely instagram photos in this movie before i don't think i've ever done anything that wasn't inside that car like (laughs) it's just always different expressions from her because we see her being very scared and nervous and regretful and then like relishing it like yeah i got away with it like it's
0: oh the little smirk that comes across her face because she's she's driving she's running away and it's going through like the discovery that the money's gone. So it's it's her boss, and then it's her um, co-worker, and then the her
2: sister. Yeah,
0: and then the rich guy who's who was talking about how you should have put it in the safe and la la la. And that that's she really was smartness. flirting with yeah. me, and it's, it's <laughs> when he was talking that she just like she's like, yeah, you fucking deserved it, Fuck like you. And buddy. there's she's a little smug, and you're just like Marion. <laughs>
2: Let's talk about the use of birds in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I think this time around, that's like the one thing that I really paid more attention to than anything. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, yeah, uh, Norman uh, is a taxidermist. That's his hobby. It's taken up too much of his time recently. But birds definitely represent women in this movie, which makes complete sense because that bird would be mean women. If it was a slang term. You've never heard women referred to as birds? No. Really?
0: Well, like as like a, like a slightly derogatory greaser calling a girl a bird.
2: You're thinking of the tea birds in Greece. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so I, I think it's more of a British thing to, to call, oh, just a cute little bird. Like, I guess it's slightly derogatory, but. Um, it's
0: mean, like saying chick. Good point. Which is also a bird.
2: It's <laughs> <laughs> a really good point. Uh, but I mean it's it's all over this movie. And I mean, so obviously Norman taxidermist. Taxidermy's his own mother, but he's he's surrounded by birds and photos of birds. In well his it's office. also
0: a sign too, because he's gotten got an aversion to he says like beasts basically. He doesn't do mammals. He doesn't do anything with claws and Ooh. teeth and fangs and um
2: Oh yeah, right. The because... normal
0: taxidermy. Oh. <laughs>
2: So I mean, like this is this is a great discussion about women, I think, in terms of Norman's mind because when he's having that conversation he's he doesn't do pets because he he doesn't like it. He likes doing birds because it's more of a passive animal. and it's it's like this is where they belong and this is their place. <laughs>
0: Kind of. Yeah. But I think that's something that that's what his mother thinks. Yo, because yeah. his mother's got a really stern, at least what we get through the psychology of Norman, his mother's got a very stern view of women and sex and like a protective wing over her son. And so anything that maybe is alluring to Norman is what excites what awakens yeah, Mother? Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I think it threatens Mother, because in his mind it's supposed to just be the two of them. Like that's why uh so the the detective explains to us that the two of them lived together as though there was no one else in the world for years, and then eventually Norman's mother uh got a new man. Norman was jealous, poisoned them both. Oh, shit. Yeah, because uh, their relationship was severed, but now he can have her back. Like, very clearly, he stole the body. He's taxidermied it. It's there with him. She exists at home as this dummy, but also in his mind. So they are together again. And anytime anybody threatens that relationship, they got to go, whether it's uh, her boyfriend or women that, that Norman becomes attracted to. Mm-hmm. So any time he's sexually aroused... Mother comes out to slap him on the wrist and just eliminate that desire.
0: Yeah, because there's not really any sound reasoning be- behind killing Marion because Marion's leaving in the morning.
2: Yeah. She's yeah, yeah. hours
0: away from being gone forever.
2: Yeah, it would mean nothing if she just left. But uh, his psychology can't handle it, so it just immediately goes to murder. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely not the first girl he's ever killed either. No. Right?
0: Well, one, there's a hole in the wall. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, they, they also mentioned that there have been uh, other reports of missing women in the area, all basically looking very much like Marion by the sounds of it. Oh, shit. Yeah, so there's there's bound to be more cars and more bodies in that pond unless they start to, once they start digging them out.
0: The car sinking in that pond, one, it looked like the most shallow pond ever. Yeah. But it was like mud.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it it's was like, like a bog almost, goopy, yeah. It yeah. It's, uh... One of the greatest scenes ever, ever, and totally instrumental. Like that scene is the 2D fucking fruity scene in Devil's Rejects. It's where our perspective flips and we're now we're with somebody else because in the Devil's Rejects, they are monsters and we see them do awful fucking shit. But then when they're on a road trip and they're getting ice cream and they're just chatting and laughing, all of a sudden we're with them now. Like, we're no longer scared of the Firefly family in that movie because it's a fun road trip movie with, you know, your quirky family. In Psycho, we are following Marion Crane. We are scared for Marion Crane. Like, we want her to get a, a get away with the theft. And then we, you know, maybe want her to get away from that cop. And, like, we avoid suspicion. And then all of a sudden we're scared for her because she's in danger. And then, oh, fuck, she's murdered. What do we do? In that scene where Norman is trying to sink her car and it stops... There is panic and we're afraid for Norman almost because hmm. we also we, we don't see him. Like, I mean, we that's all, a really good point. Thank you. Uh, we, we, we all know that he killed her. Like it's, it's there's no <laughs> one has ever we, watched this. Yeah. We
0: watch it with the guys that he did. not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's see.
2: That is the really interesting thing about watching Psycho is that it's like investigating a murder. And for it to be a movie about solving a murder is genius because we go into it kind of knowing the facts, but trying to figure out how it would how, like, piece it back together. And recreate it.
0: Oh man, if I ever come down with dementia and you do not have dementia, please let me watch Psycho.
2: Oh wow, right? this is gonna be good. This is I gotta. <laughs>
0: this is <why> we're <laughs> gonna shake on this. Whoever gets please. dementia first.
2: <laughs> oh, it's gonna be great. It's like, uh, it's it, I don't know. It's like my like, seeing people online talk about showing their kids movies for the first time. It's gonna be like that. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be good. And I and we gotta pretend to also. Have never seen this movie, right? Oh,
0: did you see? I don't know <laughs> if I've seen this. Have you
2: seen? No, I don't have any recollection of it whatsoever. Oh, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be the only good thing.
0: Uh, what What always impacted me most about the car sequence is, and I don't know why I think of this or whether it's gonna be that it's gonna be that monumental when I say it out loud. When I'm sure he, it's
2: gonna be a monumental moment, Kim.
0: When he puts Marion in the the trunk of the car, Yeah, and then when he finally throws the the newspaper of money and it's inconsequential, the car isn't really her car. It's a car she picked up that day. Mm. So the fact that she's being buried naked in this car that represents this lapse of judgment she had one day, which happened to be the end of her life.
2: Mm. You know what I mean? It's also the only thing she spent money on.
0: Yeah, there's something that just like really cements that moment in time as like her downfall.
1: Wow. Like that
0: decision and how like the foolhardiness was completely her downfall. Like and it's not her car and she's like being buried in this like foreign yeah. I don't know. No you no know no, you you're, mean? you're
2: to, it, it'd be like as if he took the $40,000, exchanged it into pennies, dug a grave and then buried her with the pennies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Everything is in her grave.
2: Wow. <sighs> That's crazy. One last thing about birds before we move on.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, hey, actually, two other things about birds before we move on. <laughs> if we want to talk about that murder sequence this time around, I, I had a real... I didn't
0: I, notice it either. Yeah, I
2: don't know how you can watch a movie 20, 40 times and not see something that we just blows your... We watched
0: it four times this, this year. This year. This year alone,
2: because <laughs> this movie rocks. Um,
0: it's uh, always the first movie we put on when we, we get a new like entertainment thing. So we got um,
2: an RV. We got an RV. It
0: was the first movie we watched in the RV. And then when we got the projector for the RV, it was the first movie we watched on the projector. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait to see this movie in another It's basically
0: the champagne that we whack across the ship. (laughs) We
2: got got to christen the old girl with with Hitchcock's best. (laughs) Oh, that's good. So when when Norman finds when Norman discovers Marion's body, like he's he's, he's run back up to the house. He's changed his wig. He's like, oh, mother, blood, the
0: blood.
2: Uh, I want to come back to that in a second too. That it, was a
0: good impression we did.
2: <laughs> it was actually pretty good. I think the imp- I think it's that we'll, we'll get into it now. I think the dialogue is supposed to be a little stiff. Because when you watch it, it's like, oh, the acting here is not so great. Well, He's
0: probably taking off his
2: wig. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's just because he's he's in his own head, like all of the dialogue. And Anthony Perkins is a great actor. Like all of the dialogue with Mother is not good. It's not there's nothing stellar about it. It doesn't sound like a conversation. It sounds like a person talking to himself. It's great.
0: I don't know. You think it's... (laughs) We'll talk about the end of the movie. (laughs) Okay. All right. That's fine. That's fine. Uh,
2: But when he discovers the body, he recoils in horror and he knocks over a photo of a bird and we just see like a little bird just like hit the ground. It's Uh, Marion. It's Marion. Oh, it's good. The other one that I thought was great. When they are in his office and they're eating sandwiches, and you know we're just having some pleasant conversation about like how pa- passive women and birds are. Um, <laughs> we switch to mother, and you know he's he's jovial about it. Like oh you know I don't hate her blah 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 she's whatever she's a little overbearing but she's my mother I love her. Uh, when Marion mentions putting her in a home the angle of the camera completely changes. And he
0: leans forward in the in yeah, seat. Yes, he
2: leans forward in his seat. The camera's on the floor looking up at him and there is an owl just like looming over the whole fucking scene. It's also one of the only taxidermied birds, I think, that is a bird of prey. And I think in that moment, Mother is in the room, right? Oh, shit. And she is sort of in the corner like, you better answer right, boy. Or or or, or just the, the fact that she is now present. Like, she's most likely the person that's responding. Because, mm-hmm. as we learn later, Norman is never 100% Norman, but he is often only mother. Oh,
0: that's such a good line. Yeah. I think that whole sequence is a little redundant at that point because it's 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 more for, like, the 1960s audience who's just like, wait, what happened?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good moment in the movie, too, though, because you get a bit of a breather. Like, you have this, like, horrific thing that you don't understand, and then you get... A nice little calm explanation of it. Mm-hmm. And everything's wrapped in a nice bow. And, you know, everybody in the audience understands what happens.
0: Very true. That's
2: a Hitchcock move. He's playing yeah. in the back of the audience. Yeah,
0: well, and everybody leaves knowing, like, everybody in that audience could discuss it with each other. But then
2: final image, we zoom in close on Norman in Mother's voice. And you get one final, like, unsettling scare. So my favorite that fucking <laughs> smile, right?
0: My favorite part about the ending is that at some point Mother gets cold. And asks for a blanket and one oh, yeah. of the one of the cops comes in and goes can i give him a blanket and he's like yeah yeah go give him a blanket and so we're in the hallway and an officer opens the door to where norman's being detained and hands a blanket we do not see anybody mm-hmm. but somebody replies like oh thank you and it's you know i don't even remember that it's a woman's voice That's so good and it's, it's not um it's not norman at Oh, that's great! And it's just like, oh, thank you. It's the creepiest moment of the whole movie. Wow! And then we do that whole final c which is also very fucking creepy with the smile. He's got that. i oh, this little fly. I'm not even going to smack it, even though I fucking want to smack it. Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> do you think Norman ha- has been, and maybe the sheriff that they talk to in the middle of the night uh, answers it, I don't remember. Do you think Norman has been institutionalized before?
0: I guess I, I got it from that speech, but if it's mother in that moment. Maybe mother has.
2: Oh, good point. Yeah, because it's it's very specific, right? When she mentions going into one of those places, yeah, we always call it vindictive. those places. It's vindictive,
0: like it's just like, Ugh. do you know what happens in those places? Well, and
2: the the, the details are specific. The laughing, the staring, I can't remember what he says, but like the the cruel eyes studying you. It's just like those are those are experiences that we're hearing. I mean,
0: and those things might have happened though after Norman killed his mother and his mother was in there with him. So mother experienced those places even though Norman was the one institutionalized. Like he might have been oh, okay. institutionalized briefly after his mom passed away. Yeah. Or was murdered or whatever. Cuz they
2: know that it's I bu- don't oh, know, because they think it's murder suicide.
0: Yeah, cuz they think his um m- one of them killed the other person at dinner, and blah, blah, yeah, blah.
2: and then he found them together in bed. I like that he arranged the bodies, or maybe they just went to bed. I don't know. <laughs> anyway,
0: oh fucking the um the stunken body shape in the bed when the sister is exploring the house. Yeah,
2: when oh, oh. she feels to see if it's warm oh. is the thing, right? And there's no fucking way it would be. It would never be warm unless Norman's sleeping in it, which she probably is.
0: He might. <laughs> One
2: other thing about birds. <laughs> <laughs> Norman is a bird. Norman is a thousand percent a bird in this movie. And I'm going to give you two examples.
0: (gasps) Well, I got one of them. When the detective is... Asking for like the the guest book or whatever. Yeah,
2: yeah, and he leans in with his his crooked little head. Okay, actually, I got I got, I got. <laughs>
0: with his bird neck. Yes, we see his bird neck. Like it is an
2: odd angle. No, no one would ever you know, do
0: it. You know why it's in that angle? It's to show how fucking nervous he is. Oh, he's stupid. Because he's nervous. chewing gum and his his ah. jaw is just like. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, he's,
1: you think kind of, he's chewing
0: he's, seeds, John. He's. Kind <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Here's
2: the thing. What have you seen Norman eat in this movie? He doesn't eat that sandwich with Mary and he makes her a sandwich and a glass of milk and he watches her eat it. Blood. No, he's <laughs> I don't know. We only I was see him at night. I was so prepared for you not to have the answer that I didn't even hear you give a joke. I was like, "No, what he's actually eating." <laughs> I just waited for my turn to talk. I think there's a scene where we we watch him eating candy, right? When the detective shows up. Because he's just a stupid little boy. Because he's a
0: boy. (laughs) Yeah. He's so so cute in that conversation. Like, you know he's lying. (laughs) But you're just like, like you're so sweet. You're so bad at this. The the detective
2: does an awesome job catching him in his lies, too, right? And he doesn't necessarily like, okay, so you want to tell me the fucking truth
0: now? No, because he wants to keep him on his side. He wants to keep him talking. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Because she might be there, you know. But uh, every time we see Norman eat, it's like he's pulling little bits of bread out of his pocket, and he just, like, nibbles it. And then he just chews on it forever, and he's got, like, this cocky little little head movement that he does. But also, when we're talking about the hospital, and this is why I think Norman was likely the person that was hospitalized, uh, institutionalized, is that... Um people are always well-meaning when they talk about those places. They cluck their thick tongues and they shake their heads.
0: That sounds like mother. That sounds like mother. That (laughs) does
2: sound like mother, but we are describing birds. We are describing birds, like, with their tongues, picking up little bits of bread, chewing on them, and then, like, doing those quick little head movements that we see birds do. It's like the the head movement equivalent of the jerky walk that was in every horror movie from 2000 to 2007. I think I've exhausted my bird talk. (laughs) Thank you for coming to my bird talk.
0: <laughs> this has been my bird talk.
2: What else about this movie do we talk about? Because what I, what I'm asking is, what do you want to talk about? Because at this point, I'm ju- I'm just not going to bring anything else up in hopes that this does not become a four hour podcast. The second half of this movie is a very different movie, a very 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 different movie, uh, because. We don't really follow... You would. Ex- I would almost expect that we'd follow Norman a little closer in the second half for how much it shifts to... I guess we can't be on the side of a murderer too, too much, right? Um, because we're... We we're... would notice
0: his his absence from scenes. Good point. You know what I mean? Like, if we're with mother too much, yeah. we'll notice Norman's absence. Good point. So we instead follow Marion's sister and... Almost boyfriend. Oh, total
2: boyfriend. Almost (laughs) husband. Uh, It's weird that Vera Miles stays behind at his hardware store when he tells her to. Like, I would not have expected her to do that. Because, like, he drives out to the hotel by himself, doesn't find anybody, comes back, gets her, they both go.
0: I think that's just a sign of the times, though, because she's the one that, that kicks off like he said he'd she be finds here him. Yeah. in an hour yeah and it's been 3 hours and she's like so I'm going and he's like well you can't go by yourself and it's also like you're a woman you stay here stay and I'm going to go yeah. and then he comes back and she's like well we're both fucking going cuz you solved nothing Let's
2: wake up the sheriff <laughs>
0: The sheriff is good, too. I like the sheriff a The lot. sheriff gives a lot of information. He also has one of the best lines in the film. And it's kind of an offshoot line because it's incorrect. It's not right. Well, and incorrect, I mean like it's inconsequential. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. What he says is if if Norman's mother is still alive, who's buried in that cemetery? Mm. And that's just a great line for a horror movie. Like, yeah. Regardless of anything. What a good line is yeah. that? also Who did just we like, in that what, cemetery? Like,
2: what the fuck movie am I watching at this point? If you're yeah. a 1960s audience. At
0: this point, you're just like, where the fuck are we? You're like, <laughs> where are there's we going? ghosts
2: in this. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't sign up for ghosts.
0: <laughs> yeah, like robbery. Mothers that aren't actually paralyzed. Ghosts.
2: <laughs> oh, man. There's no... I'm waiting for our generation's psycho. Because we missed the boat on Pulp Fiction. I think Pulp Fiction was the next psycho. Like, Pulp Fiction, like, changed the fucking game. Like, everybody that would have gone to go see that at a film festival walked out thinking, like, we're in the future now. Okay, here it is. Like, where is, you know what it's going to be. It's going to be a 3D movie that has a movie happening in the background if you pay attention to it. Like, that's what it's going to be. They've already done
0: that, like, with Simpsons, though, with, like, the Bane movie.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The McBanes? (laughs) That's so true.
0: It's going to be uh, Quentin Tarantino's first horror film.
2: Quentin Tarantino's not going to do a horror film. I don't know. I don't think he will.
0: He's got one movie left. If that. Fingers are crossed.
2: He might not. He might just call it quits now. I don't know. What else is there to talk about? I mean, like, okay, we haven't really talked much about the shower scene. Everybody's seen it. It's great. I love it. Um,
0: (laughs) Do you want to talk about the shower scene? Do you? I don't really know what to say other than that it's wonderful
2: yeah right if you haven't seen the seventy-eight fifty-two documentary that analyzes all of the it, it's 78 shots in 52 seconds which is the entire length of the shower scene it's an incredible documentary focusing just on that that moment in this movie um and i'd highly recommend there's nothing we can say that they haven't said in that and it's it's
0: yeah unfortunately i think because it's such a an, an infamous scene that it's really hard to watch it without bias. Mm. So, I really tried to watch it not expecting it, you know what I mean? There's no way to do that, but but to try to trick yourself in watching it. And um the moment when the door opens and the gray hair comes in with like the knife held high, like that is such a scary Moment, and I, I can't even imagine what audiences first experienced when they saw that because it was probably like a record scratching, just being like, "Wait a minute!" Because that's not the movie they were watching up until that point.
2: No, and I mean, if they had been seeing the promos for the movie, that might have also been a strange moment. Like I don't know. Like one, it's like you don't expect Janet Lee to die at all. Like, no, she's your lead. Yeah. But the trailers, for maybe lack of a better term, for this movie where Alfred Hitchcock was sort of, like, walking everybody through the sets of Psycho. Like, he gets to the bathroom and he talks, oh, and the blood, oh, I can't talk about it. And then he rips the shower curtain open and Janet Lee's there and she screams. So there almost had to be a moment where you were like, wait a minute, this is that bathroom. We can't, no, this can't be it. Like, you had to know it was coming to a degree. But I think, mean, like, maybe... I don't, I don't. Honestly, I don't really know what trailer culture was like back in the '60s. Yeah, like maybe maybe most people didn't know what they were expecting because it was like, oh, new Alfred Hitchcock movie. Let's go see it. I love that brand.
0: <laughs> and uh, the shot, obviously, like I, I'm I'm preaching a broken record here, but when um we pull out of her eye, like it's the drain. Oh yeah. And it's the like the photograph. And, it's amazing. Oh.
2: It's also similar to Vertigo. Like I wonder if he has this this interesting. Um, parallel that it likes to draw between spirals drains. and eyeballs because <laughs> it's all over psycho, but mm-hmm. I mean, that is that movie is more about like a how you perceive reality, vertigo. Yeah,
0: what would you say of the entire film is your favorite <clears throat> moment or visual?
2: Damn, that's very hard. I think I know what yours might be, so I'm not gonna bring that one up because I'm asking you the same question, obviously. Um I think my favorite visual moments in this movie are when Marion is driving, like we were talking about. So it's, good. It's incredible. But also the the look on Arbogast's face when he gets stabbed at the top of the stairs. I love that moment. And him falling back and how it's shot. Uh, it's It's just like such a cool kill. It looks great. It's horrifying.
0: It's great, too, because Hitchcock sets up that camera angle earlier in the film. Mm. So it's not weird to see... Uh, a bird's eye view yeah, of, Bird's John, uh,
2: yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> of that kill. Because, one, we're in that shot because we can't reveal the face of the killer. Mm-hmm. But because he set it up previously and we've, we've seen Mother or we've seen that angle in that stairwell before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not weird that we're not seeing Mother's face.
2: That's a really good point. That's a really good it's point. It's a
0: way to trick your audience into not knowing what you're not showing them.
2: Yeah. I think... Um... The only other one that I'd like to touch on is one that I think you're about to bring up. So you want to tell me what your favorite visual in this movie is? Uh,
0: Well, my favorite visual is Marion in the car. But the one I want to right? talk about is the final reveal in the basement. Yes. Um, when Vera goes down to the fruit cellar and... Because
2: it's scary enough when she turns that chair around. And, and you see that fucking just like decrepit...
0: Mummified mother.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um. Boy. It, but in her panic, she does that classic horror scream with her hands up in the air and she whacks a light bulb dangling on a cord. And it is the simplest excuse for the best lighting I have ever seen. Oh, yeah. Where the light swings. And so the shadows on Mother are, like, short and long and short yeah, and long. Yeah, you're, you're and,
2: seeing it, like, from the inside of her skull also, uh, right? Because her eye sockets are gone. Well, and that's They're also random. a
0: big action sequence because that's when we tackle uh, Norman and... Uh, yeah, it's
2: chaotic when he comes in and, like, you, the, the, the lights are boyfriend comes like, in, in and, and there's a
0: whole bunch of chaos happening and the light is, like, just all over the place and you can't figure out where to focus and there's also a corpse in the room. Like, it's fucking amazing. If they ever did a haunted house like for Universal Studios, you'd have
2: to be you'd have to go up and turn the chair around yourself.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be so cool. But uh they would have to have like that that light swinging like that yeah. that moving um light source. It's so good. It's crazy how simple it is. She whacks a light That's and it's all. the greatest visual of <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean of like, cinema. That that's that's true about the majority of this movie. There's nothing to it. It's one of the cheapest movies that he's ever made, like in this era of his career, and it's the most successful. Like it's it's incredible.
0: Well, and correct me if I'm I'm wrong, he had already been making color movies at this point, right? Oh yeah. yeah and yeah, he yeah. decided that this one needed to be black and white. Or what I for-
2: don't I honestly I'm not sure if it was because of the quote unquote gore of the movie. And like how violent it was, they could maybe get away with it a little more, or if it was just cheaper. I'm not sure. I'm sure I've read it at some point, but I've forgotten.
0: (laughs) We'll have to check that out. Because like the fact that it is in black and white when Hitchcock was pulling dollars to be able to do movies in color Mm. is was is fun. Because if if it's a deliberate choice, then like good good decision was made. Yeah. I don't know if the movie would be as iconic if it was not black and white.
2: You know, it's it, it's interesting when I think about this movie because it is one of the only horror movies that Hitchcock has done. Um and obviously like he's a master of suspense. We know that and how he builds tension and suspense is is incredible. And um to see him utilize that in horror, it's just like there was nobody better suited to make a movie like this. Um,
0: I think suspense movies are horror movies. <laughs>
2: That's, that's fine. I mean, there's a fine line to draw. But in, in, in talking about his suspense stuff, and maybe this is my last thought, I guess, is that one of the one of the easiest ways to build suspense, a, or at least like a classic Hitchcock way to build suspense, is to show the audience what's going to happen and then have the like everybody in the scene unaware. Like the example would be, um, I think it's The Man Who Knew Too Much. There's a bomb under the table. And it's going to go off at a specific time and we are watching the characters just sort of carefree in a moment uh, and it's building toward that. And it's it, there's tension for us because we know they need to get out. We know there's danger, but they are unaware of it. Like that's, that's just great suspense. Mm-hmm. In a movie like Psycho, though, it's almost the exact opposite. So if you're used to seeing Hitchcock's suspense movies, you are maybe waiting to get the info before the characters, but that never happens.
0: Yeah, you do get and, a
2: sense of unease.
0: And there's so much attention paid to the money, and there's so much importance on the money.
2: Yeah, so you're keeping your eye on it. Yeah, it's a magic trick almost, right? Because there's the it's it's the distraction um, before the prestige. Uh, and uh, y- yeah, you never you never get that moment. You are always one step behind this movie, and that's probably why it was so fucking scary in 1960. And to be honest, today this movie still fucking works.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. So, I'm going to give it a 4 out of 4. Yeah,
2: I think it's pretty obvious. I'm going to give it a 4 out of 4 also. Tell
0: Suprise. Yeah. Um, But moving on, we are going to talk about a first-time watch for both John and I. Yeah. This movie is said to have inspired Psycho, mm-hmm. uh, particularly the iconic bathroom scene.
2: Yep. And, you know, this, this movie also boasts uh, an ending title card that says, don't spoil it for your friends. So... We're going to talk pretty openly about it, but if you don't want to know, if you don't want to know anything about this movie before we spoil it for you, I'd highly encourage you pause this episode and watch Le Diabolique.
1: Attention.
3: Diabolique. Un costume d'homme Diabolique. Une malle en osier Diabolique. Une piscine
0: Diabolik from 1955, currently sitting at a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, 8 out of 10 on IMDb, 3.5 out of 4 from Roger Ebert, and 4.1 out of 5 on Letterboxd.
2: I didn't realize how well-paired these movies would be. We were given the idea for this uh, this double feature, actually, from our contributor Stephanie Cole, who has a great column uh, called Silver Screams about black and white horror movies. And she had done a piece on La Dabalique uh, and talked about Hitchcock's inspiration and, you know, how it was kind of like a movie he wanted to make but couldn't. But it wasn't until we watched this that I realized how well-paired they would be. And not even just for, say, themes or or visual shots, but in the sense that, you know, they have surprising endings. And holy crap, is it great to have a movie that the ending is super-duper spoiled for you before you ever see it, paired with a movie that's very similar that we know nothing about. Yeah,
0: I didn't know anything going into it what it was going to be. Uh, so much so that I... I felt lost at a few points in the film. Oh, yeah? But I was kind of okay with that because that's all kind of part of the fun.
2: Yeah, this movie really kind of takes you on a journey and you just got to go with it.
0: Yeah, like it's it's quite a long film. Maybe like, even too long. <laughs> even long-seeming because once everything is revealed at the end, you realize that that there's, there's a bit of improv almost happening throughout the film. So the yeah. fact that it escalates the way it does is because the characters are also scrambling. Yes. Um, Which means it's not as, like, orchestrated as, say, a typical Hitchcock film is.
2: Mm, Yeah. So uh, if you're you're unfamiliar with it or it's been a while since you've seen it, Melissa and Nicole are uh, mistress and wife, respectively, to a horrible asshole of a headmaster at a school named uh, Mikel. They conspire over a three day long weekend to murder him and get away with it.
0: Yeah, because despite what um, you would think a mistress and a wife are, they are really close. They're like best friends and uh, they have bonded over the fact that Mikkel is awful to both of them.
2: Yeah, in the beginning of the movie, Nicole has a black eye because I guess he was drunk and forced his way into her apartment or room because they, they stay at the school and uh, and beat her up. At some point.
0: Yeah, and um, Melissa is actually the one that owns the school. It was in her dowry. Oh, yeah. so it's all her money. It's, it's her property. She also has a heart condition. So there's just like two things that, that Michael can hold above her head is the fact that uh, he could take the school from her and she can't run it on her own.
2: Yeah, she's too weak-hearted. She spends a lot of this movie. I mean, it's a stressful... <laughs> It's a stressful situation for her to be in, trying to get away with a murder, especially when things aren't going as planned. Even just committing the murder, she is so out of breath that she can't help, Uh, and she's collapsed on the bed. Um, But essentially what happens is they go back to Nicole's apartment. She makes a phone call saying, I want a divorce. I'm here at Nicole's apartment and there's nothing you can do about it. And because they know exactly what kind of person he is, he makes his way over there right away.
0: Oh, the scene when he gets to her apartment is insane because it's the first uninterrupted moment where you get to see like the psychology behind the abuse that he that he uses. And he's like dastardly. He's both like manipulative and rude and he's soothing and there's all, there's so many different faces we get to see just in that room. Like he blames her for making him sneak out of the school and have to sneak around to go chase after his own wife. Yeah, Like a snake and like, and And then he's soft and he's, he's telling her that they can run away together and la 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 and uh.
2: Yeah, he is... It's it's an entire cycle of abuse in one... Three minutes. <laughs> yeah, in just like a conversation. You know what's great, too, is that they have poisoned a bottle of bourbon uh, for him to drink. And he pours himself a glass because it's a very nice bourbon. And uh, she has second thoughts, so she, she tries to stop him from drinking it. He spills it on his suit, and he freaks out at her. He smacks her a few times, makes her pour him another drink, and then clean his shirt for him while he sits there... Having his poison. It's so and then he makes her pour him another glass and a third glass. It's just watching
0: her decisions change throughout that scene is great, too, though, because like like his ebb and flow, she's ebb and flowing whether or not to kill him.
2: Yeah. And and initially, too, she she can't go through with it. And then uh, she says to Nicole, like, you know, the only thing that upsets me is he'll never know I'm the one that killed him. And then, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's so good. And then, you know, of course, uh, you know, she she has a change of heart real quick and then gets right back into it uh it's it's a really interesting plan too they uh they run they 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 essentially knock him out he's not dead but uh he is incapable of fighting back they draw him a bath they put him in the bath with his suit put a big old heavy statue on top of him and then just leave him there overnight with a um with a nylon tablecloth over top of the tub
0: The thing about this scene, too, is a lot of tension, like a lot, at least for me personally, is drawn from the fact that there are tenants that Nicole rents to upstairs who are really quirky, funny people. They are, yeah. But the husband is so tied to his radio programs that he's literally logging down the times that they're they're running the tub and draining the tub that you expect it to play into... They're undoing.
2: There are a lot of scenes in this movie that almost seem like true crime, where we're getting, oh, this is where they slipped up, and this is where somebody saw them, and then this is where something like puzzling oh it just it seemed a little off at the time but it wasn't until an investigator showed up at my house later on that I pieced together that they're murderers
0: yeah I mean they do make a lot of mistakes like as as soon as the murders committed Melissa is a a terrible murderer she is watching everybody like a hawk out the window she's forgetting her lessons like she is sneaking out of the classroom she's she's but like losing it
2: yeah because when they get back to school they put his body in the morning they um, they take the body in the nylon tablecloth. They put it inside a wicker basket, a wicker trunk, which they then transport back to the school. And in the middle of the night, they dump his body in the dirty pool. So people can't see down into the pool water. But eventually, you know, maybe somebody's going to discover him. He'll rise to the surface. Somebody will drop something in the pool. And then it'll just look like uh, during a three-day weekend, he got drunk, fell into the pool, hit his head, and drowned.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's
2: not a bad plan.
0: <laughs> no, it's not. It's not a bad plan because it was a long weekend, so like his excused absence, la la la. Maybe he just got drunk and he teetered over the edge. But a few days go by and the girls are losing it. They are falling apart, and so Melissa wants to drain the pool, but Nicole is not for it because.
2: You can't call attention.
0: Yeah, why, why would they drain the pool yeah. at this point? Like, why would they? You drain can't just
2: it? say like drain the pool. Like, why? There's no reason to. It's the end of the season. Like, I think it's there's there's no reason for them to drain the pool. So they they orchestrate a scene where somebody's dropped some keys and the kids. You know the real the real evil decisions in this movie are like oh i dropped my keys would any of you kids like to jump in and get those keys out like, yeah. it's just like you're gonna let a kid discover a dead body oh man it's nuts um
0: that scene is actually pretty wonderful though when you think about what the end goal is oh yeah of the uh,
2: having seen the whole movie of
0: the killer yeah yeah
2: oh it's so good it's so so good But yeah, the kid goes down, does not get the keys, uh, but he does discover the headmaster's lighter and no body. He never, like, he doesn't come up and he's just like, oh my god, guys, I'm scarred for life, (laughs) and (laughs) I'll I'll be talking to a therapist about this for years. He just found a lighter, and then they go back to class. Uh, But because he didn't come back up with the keys, Melissa orders the groundskeeper to drain the pool, despite the fact that there's no reason to. Even he protests about it, but she's like, you fucking do it! Um, And it, it happens. And surprise! Surprise! There's no body in the bottom of that pool.
0: No. Yeah. Which is where me watching this movie was like, "What the fuck is happening?" Oh
2: yeah, we're. I, I was so locked in at this point. I was so ready.
0: But then we go on this weird, wild goose chase of is Mikkel a ghost? Is he still alive? How did they not kill him? Well, it's Cause somebody dropped his fucking like suit off. There's all kinds of shit. So somebody drops off the suit that he died in, which is pressed and, and dry cleaned. They go to the dry cleaners, they get a key from them to this hotel that he owns that he never stays in. He's got this right. secret hotel. Oh, and good. like kids are seeing him around the school and he's punishing people, but nobody's ever seen him. And like there's so many things. Like he's a fucking ghost. The best moment is when they have to do their school photographs. Yes. And at this point, Melissa is really not in a good way. Like there's been so much stress surrounding this murder that her heart condition is is a lot worse. She's basically on bed rest. Oh, yeah. So the whole school is out front to take their photograph. And in the photo, in the window, you can almost see it's like Mikkel is standing in the window. Which is like the best. so haunting. It's so ghostly. Oh, it's
2: so good. Oh, I love it. I, there is a little boy too who um, who says that he saw Macal Did he punish
0: him? He, yeah, his, he took his slingshot.
2: He took his slingshot, right. That's what he's, he, there's a win, there's a broken window and he says that he couldn't do it because the headmaster had taken his slingshot from him.
0: No, he broke the window.
2: Oh, my mistake. He broke the window. Headmaster took the, the, slingshot, the slingshot from shot. him. Yeah. So they put him in the corner for like six hours. <laughs> he used to stand there.
0: There's something, I can't remember, there's
2: something weird about that kid at the beginning of the movie, too. I can't remember what he says, but they accuse him of being a liar and that he's always telling stories. Mm-hmm. And so, in one aspect, you think, okay, maybe maybe he is just making this up, but maybe he's not, because we did fucking just see his face
0: and the in suit. that photo. the we have and the, the suit! suit. And <laughs> the suit!
2: It's the suit that he was definitely drowned in. He's not walking around naked, we know that, but he's gotta be somewhere. And maybe he's, he's just... Toying with them, because he knows at any time he could get them charged with attempted murder. Mm-hmm. But then a naked body shows up in the docks, right? And Melissa goes down to the morgue, but oh, not Mikal. Uh But it is unfortunately where she finds a very pesky detective.
0: Yeah, who, he's a retired police officer. Just and
2: hanging out at the morgue?
0: And But he is perceptive, because- he is. He's immediately suspicious of why she jumped to conclusions to assume that her husband may have jumped off a bridge. And he's got all of these interesting, like, tidbits that you, that only a detective would gather. Like, so he's been missing for less than a week. You, he was found naked in, um like a river. So you're expecting that he killed himself and mm. then as he learns more about the character like he would not have killed himself. He's not the type of person to He's have also a
2: very good swimmer. <laughs> so you know ne- he wouldn't necessarily have drowned either. Like if he had a bunch of drinks and fell in the pool, he wouldn't they assume he wouldn't drown. We we know very well he probably could. Like plenty of people who are good at swimming Around all the time
0: well and he especially too he calls attention to the fact that it was very unorthodox for them for, to drain the pool which she's trying to be like no we dropped our keys in it it's fine
2: mm-hmm sure but as as we go on and as Melissa increasingly becomes scared, she wants to go to the police. She wants to admit what they've done because at the very least she just needs to get this weight off her chest. Which is great because she's got a heart condition, you know what I mean? And like we see her getting weaker and weaker, and it's just it's becoming increasingly hard for her to just live. She can't bear it anymore. And we have all like Mikkel becomes this ghostly presence that is haunting her fucking life. And like there are so many great sequences in the middle of the night just with shadows and just uh, and just fear. Um
0: The school I, is so creepy. Right. It's it's, it's like all crazy. dark mahogany and in black and white, it's just all shadows.
2: Oh man, this movie is a treat to look at. It's
0: a gothic horror without a ghost. Yes.
2: Oh, but it's the genius part about it because it like is there kind is of a, kind
0: of a yeah. ghost, right? <laughs>
2: oh man, but it, it it all leads to this this final night. Where um, she's hearing sounds and she's being dragged all around. We hear typing in Mikkel's office, and when she goes in, there's just some glo- there's just some gloves sitting on the typewriter. Oh man, like this ghost is like the
0: Invisible her. Man.
2: <laughs> so she freaks out. She's like, she's having a heart attack. So she runs back to her room just to get like a breath of fresh air, splash some water on her face. She's safe. She's in the bathroom. Her bathroom, the bathroom, you know, that place where you never have to be afraid of anything. Until movies like this and Psycho come out and it just shatters your reality and safety net (laughs) that you thought you fucking had. Because sitting, waiting for in that tub is just this ghoulish phantom of Mikkel. And he's just submerged with his crazy dead white eyes.
0: Oh my god, the image... It, we see it a couple times in this movie. We see it when he's in the trunk. We see it when they first kill him. And then we see it at the end. Him with the white eyes is one of the most terrifying images of a black and white horror movie. It's
2: insane. Especially when he's like, he when starts he, standing uh, up, just slowly rising up out of the water. And he
0: pops the contacts out. Well,
2: <laughs> he does afterwards see M- Melissa... Because of her heart condition, falls over dead. Oh yeah, she totally doesn't. She has (laughs) a heart attack. She's over. It's it's it. It's curtains for Melissa. But then, yeah, Mikkel pops these contacts out, which I gotta say, look horrible. Oh man, they're those
0: like um, I think they're called like sclera sclera lenses. All right, Uh, they're like the contact lenses that Jim Carrey wore in The Grinch, where they they cover your whole eye. They're huge. They're huge. They're
2: gigantic. I would not be able to wear those. They would, I'm sure they were a lot less comfy in 1955 than they, they make were. Designs,
0: they made his eyes look fucking great, though. Yeah,
2: it looks insane. And that's what we realized. Cal's not dead. Nicole meets him. They embrace. Like, aha, we've finally done it. She's dead. And we've gotten away with it, too. <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> and the detective comes in and he's like, you haven't. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's real good. It's such a great plan too, because there are there are some great moments in the beginning of the movie where Nicole and Melissa are talking, and they're just they're just sharing horror stories of Mikel and how awful he is. And Nicole even says to her, like, you know, there's been plenty of times where he said to me, like, oh, you know, with her heart condition, she'll be dead soon, and it'll be us. It's just a matter of time. And she's she's relaying this to her as as a way to say, like, hey, he's been manipulating me too. He's been stringing me along, and like mm-hmm. I've finally realize that he's a monster but it's just her having a quiet evil moment like where she basically tells her her plan and you know melissa doesn't even notice so nicole is a fucking devil and that's exactly what this title's about it the la diabolics the devils we think that it's the two women who are killing this guy but it actually turns out to be him and nicole who are in this really long crazy con game of killing Melissa. Yeah,
0: the moment that stands out for me particularly as the most devilish or the most fiendish is when Nicole throws the keys in the pool for the kid to swim potentially discover the body. I'm so glad you came back to Because that. Melissa is pretty much the only one at the school that fucking loves these kids. That's she true. She is so sweet so and true. kind to them. I mean, we don't see much about Nicole interacting with the kids um, tenderly, but uh, the two male teachers are, they're just rough around the edges and Mikhail's just an asshole. So Melissa's really the only one here like really... Um, vouching for them and caring for them. Yeah. And you know that they love her too because when she's sad and she's not feeling well, like all of the kids go from being wieners to like standing and being sad and behaving. I
2: actually thought there was a time jump where, oh, okay, they've discovered... The
0: body. They've and discovered yeah. his
2: body and these kids are very sympathetic toward her. No, they're just reading her face.
0: She's just sad. And Isn't, they're, just, oh, so they're just sad too. They
2: fucking close the school after she dies. I mean, like... She, you know, one of their teachers is dead, another one is in jail, t- t- and that the principal's also in jail, so they gotta close the school. But I think it's because she's gone. I think, you know, if if those two had have gotten away with the murder, they might have closed the school anyway. I don't mm. know.
0: But yeah, so when, when Nicole throws her keys in there, that is totally just to stab at her weak heart. Oh, Because yeah. she has to watch and not say anything about that kid going in that pool and potentially being traumatized for life by finding the dead body of his headmaster.
2: Yeah, they do everything in their power to make sure that she is at like 100 beats per minute at every moment of her life. Every
0: weird instance that we're just like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? It's all to affect... Melissa.
2: Yeah, it's to weaken her heart just, like, a little bit here and there And they constantly. just keep
0: amping it up until it yeah. happens, and then they finally have to put Mikkel in the tub because she hasn't died yet. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I mean, like, I think they hoped they didn't have to get that far, but, like, you know, I'm sure that was always the plan. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. It's so... It's so well put together, too. Like, you don't even necessarily question why they put a tablecloth over the tub when they no! kill
0: No! And that's the one thing that, like... How did that not slip by me? Because when, when Mikhail's not in the pool when they drain it, I'm surprised. I am like, what? Yeah. He was definitely dead. Like, they definitely drowned him. They put a heavy statue over him. He was passed out. He was submerged. Like, nowhere in my mind was like, was I thinking he wasn't drugged as soon as she put that tablecloth on. His head was above water. Like, I didn't. Oh, yeah, totally. It didn't even come to my mind. Yeah,
2: he needed to get his head above water to put the contacts in in order to be able to breathe like he was definitely very pruney by the end of the night but he was still alive and you know much like uh, much like alfred hitchcock's magic trick in in how he surprises audiences with uh, janet lee's death that tablecloth over top of the tub is kind of like putting a curtain over top of hundini's uh, like water trick um it's
0: so true yeah
2: like I, uh, it's so good it's such a small detail and you feel you 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 don't feel stupid at, at, after watching it but you you feel outsmarted. Because it's, yeah. it's such a small little and thing. And
0: I think I underestimated it because of almost like decency. Because for the time, like, there's a guy drowning in their tub. They don't want to bear it. So they cover it with the tablecloth, which they're then eventually going to use to wrap the body in. Yeah. But for, like, decency's sake, oh, of course, they're going to cover it. They're going to turn off the light. They're going to close the bathroom door.
2: Yeah. Like, but that but just but felt the, the, so the faucet, normal. The faucet still drips. Ugh. And it's it's just like a heartbeat throughout the entire night, like the telltale heart, and Melissa is already on edge. She doesn't sleep at all. Nicole, on the other hand, like a fucking baby. And we think it's because she's a cold-blooded killer, but it's actually just because she knows everything's cool, like everything's just like... On track. She's kind of cold blooded. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> she looks cold blooded the moment you see her. She does look cool as shit though, with like those huge thick glasses. Oh, she's
0: so cool. When yeah. we first see her, she's wearing those sun- like the black sunglasses and she's smoking a cigarette and she looks like so French and so cool. She'd
2: be in a punk rock band. if And this then was she takes her glasses off
0: and she's got a black eye and you're like, you oh. are punk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry he hit you, but you're so cool.
2: Oh, she's. <laughs> and great. she drives a truck. Yeah.
0: Oh, wait, no, she doesn't drive. Does she drive?
2: She doesn't.
0: No, it's Melissa that drives.
2: Yeah, right. Man, I like this movie a lot. It's real good. It's real long, though.
0: I found it quite long.
2: There's a lot of... I don't know it's almost two hours it could have been an hour and a half like there's and like those scenes we're talking about uh, like with the tenants who are marking down the specific times they're at a gas station and people see the crates and people see the water coming out of it it's we are establishing witnesses
0: and errors and mistakes made and yeah and like at one point when they stop at the gas station a drunk guy tries to get in the car Oh, he
2: fucking gets in
0: and it's a really tense moment but the fact that it doesn't When they introduced the detective, I assumed all of those previous instances were going to come into play into um, them being foiled. Yeah,
2: all the dominoes have been set. He's there to knock them over.
0: Yeah, like all he needs to do is get a hunch, go to Nicole's apartment, and knock on the upstairs door. Yeah. And he's got the time of death.
2: Yeah, he's got everything. Yeah. But we never really get there. I mean, I I guess we could assume that those are all people he would go back to anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Not they that he mi-
2: really needs it.
0: They also too, like they might just be the red herrings that are getting us to think that we're watching a different movie. I think you're that right. we're that we're trusting the fact that these two girls are working together to kill this guy, and we're seeing them do kind of a poor job of it. So we think that it the movie is going to be them struggling to cover up this murder the whole time. Yeah, and then when he goes missing, we're on a different track, and then we find out we're on a different track altogether.
2: Yeah, it's definitely supposed to create tension and suspense for us mm-hmm. but in a different way than how it pays out which is genius it's smart it's 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 definitely but that's
0: similar to psycho
2: agreed yeah it's it maybe just doesn't play as
0: seamlessly or smoothly yeah, or it's yeah. just not as
2: elegant like it, it. it's great it's it's done incredibly well
0: um there was one more scene that i wanted to talk about and not like as part of any big big theme or anything just something that really resonated with me was when they it's the night before the vacation so they're all having the last meal and it's some fish that they're all like whining about yeah um because fish you and
2: well they also they're buying cheap fish so it's like the fish is not good anymore yeah and, yeah there's a lot of discussion about the food
0: but there's a really extended sequence where Mikel is making melissa swallow the fish yeah And it's in front of everybody, like it's in front of all the male teachers. It's in front of Nicole, his very public mistress. And it's in front of the entire student body. And I think he's, one, he's forcing her to do it, to exert power over her. But two, because if she's seen eating the fish, then all the whiny kids will eat the fish and not complain. Oh, yeah. But it's so drawn out and uh, Melissa is so uncomfortable with the fish in her mouth. And she doesn't want to swallow it. And nobody says anything. There's so much shaming of her in that moment. And we're just on her trying to like struggle down this fish. It's so uncomfortable. Well, He also
2: makes them kick the kids out and then everybody leaves. And then once they're gone, he He, rapes her her up
0: uh, or rapes her.
2: So what? Ha- it it all happens off camera. We just hear a scream, but he says, "Uh, you know, oh, a a long weekend, a three day honeymoon," and then like he steps off camera where oh, she is. Oh, ew! Yeah, totally. I thought he I just, think like, he is her. being so cruel to her because he has to make her, because she's such a good person. He really has to make her want, want to, to kill, kill him. him, and even like she still requires more convincing constantly. So he does everything in his power to be an absolute monster to her and i think he enjoys every minute of it
0: yeah the 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 scene eating the fish was like so uncomfortable because it was so like the fact that he's abusive to her is is no doubt but the fact that he's so he's able to do it publicly like there's there's something so grimy about that
2: well also all the teachers know that he has a mistress
0: Every it's so public. Yeah, they like, oh, look at
2: this—the wife uh, and the mistress, friends. How strange! Like, oh man, Ooh, so like
0: weird.
2: It. What do you think of the little kid in this movie? Because the final, the final moments of the movie are uh, the kid has his slingshot back, and he says that Melissa gave it to him.
0: I I kind of like it because it's kind of got a happy ending. The bad guys are caught. I mean, Melissa is dead, but perhaps she's haunting the Maybe school she loves so much. Yeah. yeah. Oh. She's definitely dead.
2: Yeah, maybe.
0: I think she's dead. But I think she's a ghost, maybe. It's a gothic horror. It needs a ghost.
2: That's a really good point. Yeah, I think having that moment there makes it, uh, makes me, the the biggest question it asks for me is whether or not he actually saw uh, Mikel. That's, that's the thing that it leaves me with.
0: Oh, is that maybe he did just lie and he was just maybe an he did added just element to yeah. the story just because of his personality? Yeah,
2: because like everything is there to ratchet up the tension and to make her more scared. And not that he really knew that he was a part of it, but maybe he inadvertently was. And they, they just rolled with it, right? And how would they necessarily know? Um, At least Nicole. like she wouldn't.
0: The slingshot wasn't his office.
2: That's a good point.
0: <laughs> and Melissa saw it. My mistake! <laughs> Sorry, John.
2: That's okay. But I do like that kid a lot. I, I think it's a great moment to end on because it does add, it does put a question mark on it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like, yeah, maybe, maybe there is more happening.
0: I mean, that's a great ending, but the final shot where we see the, uh, don't spoil this for your friends. Oh yeah. That There's something card. so wonderful about seeing something like that. I wish all movies had that fucking card.
2: And I mean, the trailer for this movie also says in 1955, no audience members will be permitted. After the film starts. So oh, you want to talk about inspiration and shit. <laughs> I mean, like, there's even more to it. Like, I think I think maybe we're looking into it a little too much. On the Criterion channel, uh, if you're subscribed, or probably on the DVD also, um, there is a bit of a featurette where uh, we have some filmmakers talking about the comparisons between Psycho and Le Diabolique. And I, at some point, they get a little thin, <laughs> I, I think. But um, I think
0: there's some great comparis- comparisons, and we know that Hitchcock wanted to adapt... Um, the novel for which this is based, but he did not, he wasn't able to get the rights yeah. in time. And like
2: these two guys, you know, you know, like across the pond making suspense films together. Hitchcock was very influenced by French cinema and Italian cinema.
0: So there's definitely connections to be drawn, but I don't know if. Yeah. We the, see the one... a lot of mirroring between shots, like the hand going over the tub and the girl clutching her heart versus clutching. Like, I, I think it's all kind of coincidence, but uh, the fact that. Psycho hinges on an iconic bathroom scene and La Diabolique hinges on an iconic bathroom scene. Like that I can see as being a huge.
2: The one up that La Diabolique has is that it hinges on two bathroom scenes.
0: <laughs> but the final bathroom scene. The
2: final bathroom scene, yeah. They are, they are great set pieces. They work so well beside each other. And I, I hope you guys double featured these movies. I had a great time watching both of these back to back. And I hope you did too, which I think is a good spot to get into ratings. Kim, I'm giving this movie a three out of four. What are you giving it?
0: Um, I'm going to give it a two and a half out of four. Two
2: and a half out of four, simply
0: just because it it was a little long for the payoff.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um the the scenes with the white white out eyes, Mikhail was so spooky. Oh fuck! So wonderful, and it was fun watching a movie and questioning a lot. Like I haven't had that experience in a really long time, so I'm glad I didn't know very much about it going in. But yeah, yeah it was just it just felt very long. it It took a while to lead to where it was going
2: agreed. That's that's exactly what stops me from from giving this a four to four. I think there are bits of the movie that, Either don't necessarily need to be there, or need to be expanded on a little more. And I think we're maybe probably supposed to assume that that's all happening after the credits, with the detective. That's his own story, but it's not important to us right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like what you you said earlier. I think that's that's mainly to trick us into thinking we're watching a different type of movie, which makes me kind of appreciate those scenes more now in retrospect. But I think it could have moved at a brisker <laughs> pace. Yeah, I think it could have. I think it could have been. A little faster for my liking. That's all. It's still gorgeous to look at. Like if you're looking for a haunting black and white movie. Oh, man.
0: But let us know what you thought about Psycho and Le Diabolique. And we want to hear all your bird theories. Oh, so- please. <laughs> so tweet at us at NoFS Podcast on Twitter. You Cluck can-
2: your tongues. Shake your heads.
0: <laughs> you can find us in our Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash horror fiends of NOFS.
2: If you like the show and you think it's worth a dollar an episode, head over to patreon.com slash nightmare on and check out all the cool perks you can get by becoming a monthly supporter of indie horror podcasts. We've got a whole ton of bonus content available to you each month as well as a huge back catalog that you have access to right away.
0: Yeah, our archive of totally embarrassing early Ooh. episodes of Nightmare on Film Street from when we launched the podcast in 2016. You don't want
2: to listen to those, though. <laughs> just
0: check out you know,
2: your favorite movie that came out in 2018, 2019, and you just want to hear our thoughts on it. We've de- probably got a review for it there. Stay away from the old stuff. <laughs>
0: Please. But we also do shout outs on the show, merchandise, and even producer credits. So check those out at patreon.com slash nightmare on film street.
2: But until next week, I'm John.
0: I'm Kim. Stay Stay creepy. creepy. It
1: appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy. Fiends.